you guys would, open up your Bibles to James chapter 3, and it's page 1012 in your pew Bible if you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you today. James chapter 3, page 1012. Crazy to think that summer is like over, right? It is. It's coming to a close. And earlier this summer, my family and I, we did a day trip to Ocean City, New Jersey, uh, for the first time, which was a blast. I mean, I've been, we've been to Ocean City before, but we never just did like a quick day trip there. Uh, we had a blast, and we did what most people do when they go to the beach. We swam a lot, and we surfed a lot. And by surf, of course, I mean boogie boarding, because I can't surf. And we got sunburned a lot. Uh, we also searched the shorelines for sea glass. Now, for those of you who don't know, sea glass is physically and chemically weathered glass that's found alongside of shores of saltwater beaches. You see, when bottles get tossed into the oceans, uh, over time they're going to break into pieces and they get tumbled by the waves and the currents. And over the course of 20 to 40, sometimes to 100 years, that glass will naturally become frosted and textured and smoothed out. And so people collect it for jewelry or decorations or whatever. Quite literally, sea glass is an example of one man's trash becoming another man's treasure. But here's the deal. Finding the treasure isn't always easy. In fact, finding authentic sea glass is a rare feat. And if you want to discover it, then you need to be diligent in searching for it. Well, church, the same is true when it comes to wisdom. You see, Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 15 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her, with wisdom. You see, the Bible speaks favorably about gaining wisdom, calling it more valuable than silver or gold. Which, of course, begs the question, why does God make us work so hard to find it? Why not just provide wisdom to everybody and we're all in good shape? Well, just last week, I read a story that one of the world's rarest baseball cards, the T206 Onus Wagner card, sold on the auction block for $7.25 million. So if you have one of those cards, do not use it as a coaster. The reason why it was sold for so much money is because it's considered the Mona Lisa of baseball cards. It's extremely rare to possess an authenticated copy. Well, church, if... T206 Onus Wagner baseball cards were easily accessible to everyone, it would greatly diminish their value, right? If everyone had one, they're not that valuable. Well, the same is true with wisdom. Tony Evans said it's too valuable. God doesn't want folks to pick it up who don't intend on using it. He has placed wisdom as a hidden treasure underneath the ground for those who really want it. Just like people who truly desire gold don't mind digging and working to find it, Wisdom is only to be found by people who value it enough to search for it. And here's the good news. When it comes to finding wisdom, we can't just search anywhere. We've got to search in the right place. Otherwise, we're digging for it in vain. The good news is that God has already provided the exact location to find wisdom. Look at Proverbs 2.6. It says, for the Lord, say that with me, the Lord, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so, church, if you desire wisdom today, true wisdom, then you got to dig where God's word is found, in God's word. 
And so this morning, as we continue to study in the book of James, we're going to learn more about true wisdom and how it applies to our everyday lives. How many of you guys can use some wisdom for everyday life? Just show of hands. Yeah, amen to that. And so it's through our study we're going to be reminded of this important truth when it comes to true wisdom. True wisdom links heavenly learning to earthly living. So remember that as we go through this morning's study. So again, we're in James chapter 3. If you don't mind, I want to ask the Lord's blessing on our time one more time before we hop into his words. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you again for the opportunity uh, to open up your word this morning. And I do pray that you would give me wisdom as I present your word, that I would be led by your Holy Spirit and that you would use whatever truths that I may convey today, your truth, to change our lives and leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived. And as Pastor Dave prayed earlier, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, as I've mentioned before, uh, the book of James it has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And for good reason, because in essence, the book of James is a guideline for Christian living. Similar to the book of Proverbs, it provides practical, valuable insight on how believers should conduct themselves in a sinful and fallen world. And as we've seen over the last few months, James takes a no-holds-barred approach to his writing. He doesn't mince words when it comes to living out your faith. So in essence, the book of James is all about practicing what you preach, which, in many ways, is what possessing true wisdom is all about. And so let's look at uh, the entirety of our passage, and then we'll break it down. It's James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Follow along with me as I read. He writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Church, a story is told of a single old man who moved into a retirement community and soon met a single old woman. And they spent a lot of time together, and finally, one evening, he proposed, asking the woman to marry him. When he woke up the next morning, he remembered his proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. And so he tracked her down, and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really embarrassed. I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. And the woman replied, oh, thank goodness. I remembered saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. Church, one of the reasons why the Bible speaks so often about wisdom is because we are a forgetful people. As believers, we need to be reminded of our call to wise living and we need to be reminded of the person who calls us. In today's text, James reminds the Jerusalem church of what true wisdom looks like. In fact, found in today's text, we're going to find three characteristics of true wisdom. Let's begin by looking at the first, and it's the measure of true wisdom, the measure of it. Look again at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show works in the meekness of wisdom. As my daughter continues to advance toward driving age, I've noticed that she's becoming more and more aware of my driving. Laugh and judgmental people out there. (laughs) 
So anyway, she started asking me more questions about how a vehicle works and what the buttons do and how to read the road signs and how to brake and how to accelerate and so forth. And, and these are all really, really great questions from someone whom I'm never going to let drive. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, there's a lot that goes into driving. You need to have head knowledge and you need to have street knowledge. In fact, you can't have one without the other. The head knowledge comes through studying, taking your permit test, learning the rules of the road. And the street knowledge comes by actually getting behind the wheel and applying what's in your head to the road. Are you with me? And so if you operate a vehicle solely based on head knowledge or solely based on street knowledge, it won't be long until you crash. You got to have both. True wisdom works the same way. It takes head knowledge and applies it to the streets. You see, the phrase wise and understanding carries this idea of possessing, possessing this specialized knowledge. It's like that of a skilled tradesman or a professional. It would be foolish and futile for someone to have a specialized knowledge and do nothing with it, yes? As believers, listen, as believers, we have been given a specialized knowledge through the word of God. And so if we desire to live a wise life, then we need to apply this special knowledge to the streets. We need to apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it's useless. Charles Spurgeon said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. That's why James commands the church to show themselves wise by their good conduct and by their works. In other words, by their attitudes and actions. The Apostle Paul shares a similar sentiment in Colossians 4.5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. You see, when, when Paul uses the word walk, he's not talking about the stride in your step. You know what I'm saying? He's not talking about that. He's referring to the conduct of our lives. Church, it is a colossal waste of time to stuff our heads full of biblical knowledge and do nothing with that knowledge. As I've referenced before, the biggest problem with the church today is that our level of knowledge far exceeds our level of obedience. How many of you get what I'm talking about? Say, I do. So both James and Paul agree that those who are truly wise in the eyes of God aren't the ones who have multiple PhDs and have written multiple books and dissertations and can tell you all the deep things of theology. Those who are truly wise, they obey God's word. It's really that simple. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Have reverence for the Lord and turn away from evil. Again, wisdom takes godly knowledge and applies it to the streets. Now, when it comes to applying it to the streets, James reminds us that we need to keep our attitudes in check. He says that we need to show our, our good works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, that word meekness carries this idea of gentleness and humility. You know, Lamborghinis, right? They're fast and they're flashy. And generally speaking, people who purchase Lamborghinis and drive them, they do it to be noticed on the streets. They're not doing it to be inconspicuous. On the other hand, people who purchase 1992 Ford Tempos, they do not do it to be noticed. 
They do it to get from point A to point B. One does it for the looks, the other, not so much. Well, evidently, there were those within the Jerusalem church who were being a little braggadocious about their supposed wisdom, even lauding it over other believers. They were self-promoting. They were self-seeking. They were doing it for the looks. Of course, we're no strangers to this type of arrogance. We've all come across people who love to hear themselves talk and gloat about their deep scriptural insight and theology. We've all come across people who want others to be impressed by their great knowledge and understanding. But Proverbs 11.2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You see, friends, instead of boasting in our specialized knowledge of God's word, James calls us in a spirit of meekness to live out that knowledge in a practical way that gets us from point A to point B in everyday life. Our motive should not be to be noticed by others, but to be noticed by God. And if we are noticed by others, what they see should point them to the Lord. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. That's the measure of true wisdom. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6.1, he said, Beware of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And this leads us to the second characteristic of true wisdom. It's the mockery, the mockery of true wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Church, for those of you who may not know, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great conflict took place. This conflict was between the Jedi and the Sith. The Jedi represented a force for good, and the Sith represented a force for evil. And there was this young, promising Jedi named Anakin Skywalker, who was growing strongly in his abilities and struggled to overcome the powerful temptations of the dark side. And eventually, his jealousy and his selfish ambition caused him to succumb to the allures of the dark side, and he became Darth Vader. You guys ever hear this story before? It's crazy. <laughs> it happened a long time ago, though. And for many years following, his actions caused insurmountable damage to everyone in his way. I just think that story kind of parallels the Christian life a little bit. You know, in the Christian worldview, there's, there's conflicting two spiritual forces. You've got the godly and the demonic. And if we're not strong in the Lord, we can easily succumb to those spiritual forces of evil, causing damage to ourselves and those around us. Well, apparently there were some within the Jerusalem church who succumbed to the spiritual forces of evil and allowed bitter jealousy and selfish ambition to infiltrate their hearts. They developed an ungodly ego, desiring to get ahead of one another in power and position. And to make matters worse, they were boasting about it in their own way, whatever that looked like. Psalm 34, 2 says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Well, instead of boasting in the Lord, these believers, they were boasting in a self-centered, counterfeit type of wisdom which led to ungodly attitudes and actions. And even though this self-centered, dog-eat-dog approach to life might help you climb the ladder to success in the world's eyes, it has no place in the life of the church. In fact, this type of wisdom is not only a mockery of true wisdom, it's wisdom that comes straight from the pit of hell. 
you don't believe me, look at the next verse. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly and unspiritual and demonic. Yikes. You see, using his straight-shooting approach, James essentially calls a Christian, listen, James calls a Christian who is self-centered, arrogant, proud, envious, boastful, an agent of Satan's agenda. That's basically what James is saying. You act like that, you're an agent of Satan. Why? Because that type of lifestyle stands in direct contradiction to the message of the gospel. Direct contradiction. It's hurtful to the church body. It hinders your testimony. It's like you're literally doing the enemy's work for him. He's like, I don't really need to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and let you do your thing. James says, no, that's not godly wisdom. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. A few years ago, a woman, or a video went viral of a woman who shortly after boarding her flight, I, I actually I didn't know about this. Somehow I came across it this past week. I'm like, this lady. But anyway, shortly after boarding her flight, she was sitting next to the emergency door, like the exit row, and she was explicitly warned by the flight attendant not to touch the button that opens the door. However, when the stewardess turned around and was helping another passenger get to their seats, the woman hit the button and opened the emergency door. Why? Because she felt that the cabin was getting a little too stuffy and she needed a breath of fresh air. That was literally her reasoning for opening up the emergency door. I mean, she's my hero. Uh, <laughs> I've been there, I'm like, man, it's dying in here. But anyway, uh, the woman's failure to follow the flight attendant's directions not only delayed the flight, but it ended with her being detained by the police and undoubtedly a very hefty fine. Church, when we fail to follow God's explicit directions, when we choose to follow our own selfish ambition and desires, do what we want to do, when we refuse to apply his wisdom, it's going to cause discord within our lives and the lives of others. And this is especially true in the context of a church body. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, For God, he is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. In other words, if you find a church that's in disorder, if you find a church that's in disorder, there's a good chance that the root problem is jealousy or selfish ambition among its people or its pastors. And so all this to say, this type of behavior is unbecoming and it's unwelcome for a follower of Christ. Instead, James provides a different way of living, a way that reflects God's kingdom agenda. And this leads us to the third characteristic of true wisdom. It's the marks of true wisdom, the marks. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You know, church, when I was a kid, I used to go on walks uh, with my grandparents near their lake house. And whenever we went on these walks, on either side of the road, there were these fruit bushes. And some of these fruit bushes were good fruit-bearing bushes, and some were bad fruit-bearing bushes. So there was, like, blueberry bushes and blackberry bushes, but then there were also what my grandparents called, like, poison berry bushes. And when you're a kid, berries are berries, right? They all look the same. Or at least they all look appealing. But the reality is one looked appealing, or they both looked appealing, but only one or a few of them provided actual life-giving fruit. 
The same is true with wisdom. There's worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, and they both produce certain types of fruits, and both of them look appealing to the eye. But only one fruit is produced, or only one produces fruit that is healthy and life-sustaining. And so in contrast to the poisonous fruit of worldly wisdom, James reveals this wholesome fruit that's produced by godly wisdom or wisdom that's from above. And it's a type of fruit that's produced by faithful followers of Christ. This is what our lives need to look at, look like, in essence. And so we're going to look at each one of these fruits. We're going to bang through them real quick. Okay, so let's look at the first. The first fruit is pure. Now, to be pure is to remain free from moral contamination or defilement. Think of it like living your life wearing a spiritual hazmat suit. You don't want any pollution to get in. As believers, we must put on whatever it takes to protect ourselves from from contamination of the world. Because only those who maintain purity in their hearts maintain close proximity to the Lord. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Next fruit is peaceable. Peaceable. There's an old Latin maxim that says, and I might butcher it, but I did take Latin years ago, but divide et empera, which is where we get the expression divide and conquer from. It was a military strategy used to get a group of people to disagree and fight with one another so they wouldn't join together as one. You and I both know there are just some people in the church who have a divide-and-conquer mentality. Right? Whether it be theological issues, preferential issues, political issues, their primary objective is to pit believers against one another to cause conflict, disunity, and division. In church, this mentality is not just unwise, it's woefully unbiblical. In fact, it's the polar opposite of what a believer, or how a believer should behave. Ephesians verse, uh, 4 verses 1 through 3 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain. Eager, that means like you're eager, right? I can't think of another word for eager. You're anxious. You're ready. You're Come on. You're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's the attitude that a believer should have within the church. Not divisive, but eager to maintain the unity that we have in Christ. And so those who are truly wise will rise above the fray and do everything in their power to promote and encourage peace within the church body. You set, you set preference aside, and you're eager to maintain peace. The next word is gentle. Now, interestingly enough, there's really no good English word that accurately describes or translates the meaning of the Greek word used for gentle. So some Bibles say gentle, other Bible translations say considerate. The idea behind this word, and this is a tough one, but the, the, the idea behind it is it describes a person who instead of rashly responding to persecution or mistreatment or injustice or abuse, responds instead with patience and courtesy and consideration toward their accuser. In other words, they willingly give up their right to retaliate. And instead, they make allowances for the weakness and ignorance of others, and they try to keep a kind posture toward them as often as possible. That's a tough one. And while it's not easy, they do their best to follow the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's kind of what that word means. The next fruit is you're open to reason. Open to reason. Have you ever interacted with someone who is a know-it-all? Ever, anybody ever talked to a know-it-all before? It's like, you don't even want to talk to them because 
They might hear you, but they don't listen to you. You know the difference between hearing and listening? They're unteachable, they're stubborn, they're set in their ways. You guys know the type of person I'm talking about, right? Well, James says, don't be that person. Don't be the type of person that insists on their own selfish way. Be open, be teachable, be compliant. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So be open, be teachable. Don't be that guy. Next, fruit is full of mercy and good fruits. There's an old German proverb that says, If God were not willing to forgive sin, heaven would be empty. And it's true. Without the mercy and love of Christ, we'd all be without hope and we'd all be destined to spend our eternity in hell. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Church, the fruit of true wisdom, the good fruit of true wisdom is Christ-like mercy. This type of mercy has compassion on those who are lost and helpless, and it's the first in line to meet their needs. It's also the first in line to forgive. Warren Wearsby said, when a Christian shows mercy, he experiences liberation. And so, friends, if we want to live wise lives and free lives, then we need to follow Christ's merciful example. Next is impartial. Impartial. In this context, to be impartial is to be unwavering or undivided. In other words, it speaks of living an unwavering Christian life, to have an undivided loyalty to God. There are many believers whose faith is wishy-washy. That's not good for anybody. James describes these type of believers in chapter 1. You might remember, he says, they are a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so, wise Christians are spiritually stable Christians. They're consistent. And this leads us to the last fruit, which is actually very closely related to impartial, the word sincere. Any Batman fans in the room? Come on, church. Don't do that. Don't. Oh, I've never seen Batman. I'm too holy. Any Batman fans in the room? All right, there's three. Let's talk afterwards. We'll start a club. Um, in the Batman universe, so many of you guys may not understand this reference, but in the Batman universe, there's this, this criminal, and his name is Two-Face. He's one of, the, one of the bad guys. And reason being, half of his face is normal, the other half is badly scarred. Now, Two-Face is fixated on this concept of duality and, and the conflict between good and evil. So whenever he wants to make an important decision, he obsessively flips a coin to decide whether his decision will be good or evil. Sadly, there are many two-faced Christians in the church today. There are Christians who one day live for the Lord, and the next day they live for the world. The word sincere means without hypocrisy. In fact, Paul had strong words for hypocrites in Titus 1.16. He said, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. Now, here's the deal. While none of us are perfect, obviously, that's why the Lord came, we're sinful, the general character of a Christian, generally speaking, should be holiness, not hypocrisy. 
We're going to have good days and bad days in our walk with Jesus, but the general posture of a believer needs to be holiness, not hypocrisy. And so James closes out his thoughts by giving a summary of true wisdom. Look at verse 18. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now this is like a tough sentence to unscramble in the English language. And so here's the gist of it. In essence, James is saying that the fruit of righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of jealousy and selfish ambition. In other words, in a climate of worldly wisdom. Righteousness can only be produced in a climate of peace, which comes from heavenly wisdom. You see, church, the world is largely a mess right now because it operates on wisdom from below. Now more than ever before, the world needs the church to operate with wisdom from above. The Apostle Paul said it best in Ephesians 5. He said, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's the gist of it, church. Listen up. Time is getting short. And the spiritual climate of the world is getting worse. The church is the world's only hope, not because we have any power or strength in ourselves, but because we are literally God's called out ones, the chosen purveyors of the gospel that could change people's hearts and lives. We are the ones who are called to be salt and light in this world so that others might see Christ. So friends, we need to choose to live wisely and shine his light brightly for that reason. And so if you are thinking about your own kind of walk with God this morning, just ask yourself a question. God will reveal to you. Ask the Lord, hey, Lord, is there unwise living in my life today? Are there ba- am I producing poison berries or blackberries? Am I producing good fruit or bad fruit? Is what I'm producing life-giving or life-taking? And the Holy Spirit is faithful and is going to reveal to you what those areas are and what needs to be cleaned up. You just take a few minutes to just repent. Just ask the Lord for forgiveness of those areas and say, God, I want to live a wise life. I want to take what I've learned and what I know and what I hear from the pulpit week after week, and I just don't want to amen it and affirm it. I want to apply it. Because God, I want to be truly wise. Not wise in my own eyes, but wise in your eyes. So help me to do that today. Because I believe that true wisdom links heavenly learning to earthly living. So take a moment and do that before we leave. And and while you're thinking about that and just maybe having these conversations with the Lord, I want to close by just reminding you that the first and most important heavenly learning that must be linked to your earthly life is the teaching of Scripture concerning the relationship between God and man. In fact, we can't experience true wisdom without it. Nothing I've talked about, there's nothing you could do in your own strength to live a wise life without understanding this truth. The Bible teaches that God made us to be with him to have a relationship with him. But we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. That was our choice. 
Yet God, in his great love, chose to become a man in Jesus and live a perfect life and die on the cross, taking the punishment of my sins and your sins upon himself. And three days later, he rose from the dead, sealing the deal. And in doing so, he provided a way for you and I to receive forgiveness for our sins and be saved and receive eternal life. And so, friend, if you need that free gift of eternal life this morning, all you must do is repent and believe in Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, you can't behave in Jesus until you believe in Jesus. Behavior will get you nowhere in life unless you've got Jesus with you. So that's why I love how Scripture says, it doesn't say clean yourself up and then believe. It doesn't say make yourself right with God and then believe. It doesn't say do all these good works and then you'll have eternal life. It says, no, you believe. That's the gift. That's the free gift of God when you trust Jesus. And then Jesus will help you behave the way that he will desire you to behave. You know, there are many people in the world today who reject what Jesus did on the cross. Many people. They believe it's foolish to place your trust in a person who died on a cross 2,000 years ago for eternal salvation. But those of us who do believe, we know that it's the wisest decision you could ever make. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. Friend, the most foolish thing that you could do this morning is reject or put off your invitation to be saved. Your very soul is at stake, and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so if you need to receive Christ this morning as we wrap things up, all you can do, you can do it right now, right from your seat, just by praying something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness And I believe in Jesus Christ as your son, and I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life, and I want to trust him as my Savior, follow him as my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray something like that, if you just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And if you'd like more information about what it means to be saved, you can come up front. There's some information packets right here that just kind of explain a little bit more about salvation. There's a copy of the Gospel of John there, which was written so that you might believe in Jesus. But don't leave here without getting right with God. Whether you're the believer or the unbeliever, believers, we got to repent of sin, of unwise living. And unbelievers, you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Trust him for your salvation. So at this time, I'm going to invite the praise team forward. We're going to close in just affirming that truth. Let me pray over you. God, thank you for your word and how it speaks to us and how it's living and active. And once your word is unleashed, your word does the work. And your Holy Spirit does the work through your word. And and God, I just pray that you would work in each one of our hearts this morning that if there's areas of repentance, we have fallen short of, of wise living with how we walk or how we talk. Help us to get right with you today and seek forgiveness and seek your help for another day. God, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know your son as their Lord and Savior, if they are not certain of their eternity, help them to make the wisest decision they could ever make with their lives today and place their faith in Jesus. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen.